Hi, I'm Maduni Krishnan, editor of Airline Weekly, and welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge. This podcast is the audio from our weekly live streaming interview series, which we air every Monday at noon Eastern at forum.skiff.com. Join us for the weekly live stream. We'll take your questions live on air. And if, of course, if you prefer audio, we'll always be podcasting the Airline Weekly Lounge at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Enjoy the show. Hi, and welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge live live stream. This is your host, Madhuni Krishnan, the editor of Airline Weekly, and I'm joined today by Sean Broderick, Aviation Week's Air Transport and Safety Editor, and an old pal. We've, we've known each other for a long time, Sean. Uh, thank you for doing the, the live stream, Sean. My pleasure. Glad to be with you. So, Sean, uh, you are one of the world's foremost experts on the, what we, in the, what us who cover this industry call the hardware, right? I mean, you, you, first of all, you, you, congratulations on being um, um, aerospace journalist of the year last year. Um, your max coverage, your 737 max coverage was outstanding and it's a richly deserved award. So I wanted, so that's where I wanted to, why I wanted you on the live stream today and why I wanted to talk to you is about, um, about uh, Boeing. It's been a lot, the airframer has been in the news a lot recently uh, for good and bad reasons. I mean, we can get to the uh, third quarter delivery numbers later, but uh, there was a bit of, uh, there was like a bit of, what do you call it? a lot of like uh, to do about a story that broke on Friday by Bloomberg news about EASA, the European uh, safety regulator mm-hmm. saying that the max, the Boeing 737 max would take to the air by the end of the year. And of course there was a lot of detail that a lot of the many people missed in the story um, and the broader issue, just if they read the tweet or the headline. So let's start there, Sean, what, is going on with the the max so i think that story came from an interview that bloomberg had uh with uh patrick k the executive director of iasa and he didn't say based on my reading of the story he didn't say anything that he hasn't said before right most recently in late september when he spoke to a french journalist association and he laid out his position or IASA's position based on the work that they have done both next to the FAA and other regulators and on their own in re- reviewing Boeing's proposed fixes on the MAX, which I don't think we have to go into them in 19 <laughs> months of grounding. We can yeah. talk about it for a half hour if you want. I know. It's software, <laughs> it's software uh, <laughs> training. And EASA has done independent flight tests, as, of course, did the FAA and Transport Canada. They also went through the Joint Operations Evaluation Board work in mid-September, which EASA was a part of. And I think uh, the executive director's comments were based on the feedback and the analysis that has come out of that work. And he said, we don't see any showstoppers now. Uh, we expect that if no shop, no showstoppers come up, the airplane, we will approve the airplane to be back in service by the end of the year. But the, the, he codified the process that has to happen. That's going to happen all over the world with every regulator. It's going to be some sort of airworthiness directive or the mm-hmm. local equivalent that operators have to follow, that uh, Boeing and the FAA are hashing out the final uh, details on what that's going to be. And it's, it's you know, upgrading the airplane, separating some wires that had nothing directly to do with the accidents. The, the, tra- <clears throat> excuse me, the training is big. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, he just laid that out to Bloomberg. Uh, they broke no news. Uh, to my ears. 
But right, it's, it's yeah. good news. It's good news for Boeing, certainly, that you're getting support uh, from more than one regulator. Uh, and it's good news for the operators in Europe, um, even though the states still have to lift their individual grounding orders. That's not a, that's EASA and the states working together or working in concert, I guess. And by states, you mean the member state, the right. member states, exactly. the European exactly. Union, right? Right. Um, right. And so, so right. I mean, the, the story didn't break any new ground. I mean, the headline was oversold it a little bit, but uh, but the story itself was was what we knew all along. Now, the FAA, I mean, a few weeks ago, Administrator Dixon flew the MAX. Right. And um, after landing, said this is a great airplane and, and he's uh, he's pretty uh, confident that it'll be certified. But there are a few steps that have to happen now from now till um Till the end of the year, when when they expect it to go into service, what what can you outline those steps for our listeners? Sure. So there are two there are two big two big tracks that are moving in parallel. One is getting the training revised and approved, and the other one is getting the hardware or the 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 changes to the airplane uh, codified and the associated manuals and documentation approved. So they're moving in parallel. Uh, the the tr- both. The training document uh, is what we in the U.S. call a flight standardization board. It's basically a you know a, 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 a an outline, if you will, with a little more detail on what every 737 Max training program is going to have to include: uh, computer-based training, and now for the first time, simulator training—a two-hour simulator session right. plus one-hour briefing—is what the draft says. So. The the in, the public, the industry is is commenting on what the FAA put out. Now, this is after a lot of steps have been done to to get the draft to the position position it's in. Mm-hmm. Don't expect any major changes to that yet. We're still in draft mode, and this is not the first time we've put out a Max FSB after the accident. So we're getting closer to the finish line, but not there. The other part is the airworthiness directive is also was out for a common period of 45 days or something like that. That ended in September 22nd. Feedback on that from the public and from the industry. Don't expect a lot of major changes there either, but those two things have to be finalized so that the industry knows it has the the specific directions on what it needs to do. Another thing that's happening sort of in parallel or more of an umbrella deal, the FAA has a technical advisory board reviewing everything it's doing on this. It's an independent board, independent experts that are looking at what the FAA is, 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 or what Boeing is doing and what the FAA, how the FAA is responding and they're guiding. The tab has to approve everything. Mm-hmm. that the FAA does before the FAA goes forward. That's what the FAA has has said. And that's and the interesting thing about the TAB, it, that's something that's, I think, going to be new to certification now. There's also one for the 777X program. Huh. Not a first time we've seen it during an initial certification, but it's the first time in a long time that they've had a TAB for a project that's on, that is, you know, ongoing. Right. Okay. So, so, that's, so that's, that's what has to happen for the approval to come. And then from there, it's all about the airlines and the time it takes to get get the airplane into service. Well, and then also, um, so how do you expect, I mean, typically when these, when a, so uh, actually I want to get to this audience question in a second, but I want to remind our listeners that you can ask questions um, uh, by using the chat function on the right-hand side of your screen and we will take them as they come in. But before we get to this listener question, I wanted to ask you, Sean. So, I mean, when in, in these aircraft certification pro processes like a process and you know it's it's a rare thing to have a recertification like the max right like so when you think of um 
for new aircraft like the 777X or the 787 a few years ago, or even the MAX itself several years ago. Um, once the FAA has signed off and recertified it, how quickly then do the other regulators around the world tend to fall in the line? Well, I mean, we're in uncharted territory here. Uh, I think it's safe to say that it's going to be a, a, a phased reapproval process. Uh, that the regulators go through to remove their operations bans. Mm -hmm. It's actually what it's sort of a strange technical situation, but these airplanes weren't necessarily decertified as they were banned from operating in airspace. Right. Same, okay. same, same situation, yeah. or same, same effect, same result. So I think that IASA signaled that they're going to go soon after the FAA. So the FAA is going to release its, its set of you know, mandates probably see Canada and Brazil go fairly soon after. EASA said they're going soon after too. Um, the, the big question mark, I think, is China mm. and how much they will uh, want to look independently at what Boeing and the FAA have done. India has also said that they want to take up their own review and they've indicated they want to start after the FAA review is done. Huh. Whether they'll hold to that, I'm not sure. Uh, there's also politics in play, especially with China, how those play in who knows? I'm not a political reporter, and I'm very glad at this point in my career. <laughs> yeah, I know, <laughs> right? Political reporter. So it's you want to have the regulators on the same page. What the Max saga has taught, has shown the world, I think, is that you you get a better result when you have multiple regulators weighing in, and you don't rely on one regulator as having the gold standard. A lot of people see FAA think that FAA has fallen from grace as they're standard the way i view it is i think it's i think it's i think it's encouraging that you have other regulators with equal technical chops that are being listened to with with the same respect or reverence as the faa so the yeah. more of that we have around the world i think the, the safer the industry is going to continue to get absolutely no that's a very very good point um it's interesting with china though do you uh I know you, you you did say you're not a political reporter, but all of us have to be a little bit now, right? Um, if you insist. Uh, well, I, I'm just glad Open Skies is done, Sean. <laughs> it's no longer an issue. Sorry. Sorry, listeners. A little bit of an inside joke. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, with China, there... Could we see... Could, you, could we see the CAAC... Um, drag its heels on on the max or or is is there just you know it's just too important for chinese airlines to be able to operate this aircraft i think i think you could see some some foot dragging um but i think if the reports coming out of china are, are accurate they are you know they're back to to you know 100% if not more than 100% yeah. of utilization of their of their fleet compared to this time last year and their in the past right. numbers are close to 100 now they didn't have the max at this time last year so one logical uh you know one logical way to insert some capacity very quickly if you need it is to get the airplane back in service but i think that i think the chinese industry doesn't get enough credit for the steps they have taken on the safety side in recent years. I mean, they have mandates mm -hmm. that we don't have out here, uh, you know, certainly in the U.S. or other parts of the world. Things like head-up displays that they've mandated in certain, you know, for certain operators. Part of it is, I think, uh, some of the operational environment over there, some really tricky airports and some really, you know, tricky airspace. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other part, I think, is they recognize that they had to really get they had to they had to move quickly, just like everything else that, that the Chinese do. They they didn't want they they wanted to accelerate uh, the speed at which they got good at something. And safety is something you have to be good at if you're going to have a growing airline industry. So could they find some yeah. things that'll, that give them pause? They might. But I think that the rest of the regulators have done a really good job. At, at, at forcing Boeing and the FAA to re-examine the original assumptions with this airplane. And that's why we're now 19 months and counting on the ground because, you know, the MCAS was fixed over a year ago. Every- that, that is just, just, so, just so for listeners who don't know, the MCAS is the software that was thought to be at fault for uh, the two fatal accidents right. or, um, last right. year. And so, yeah, this, the software fix that was identified initially after the first accident in October 18, Lion Air Flight 610, Boeing and the FAA got to work on that immediately. That The changes were done on that probably in June of last year. Everything else has been looking at related faults, related scenarios, right. and most importantly, I think anyway, that's going to come out of this in terms of global aviation safety is is the the training aspect and understanding what pilots need to be able to operate their airplanes safely. Well let's let's switch gears just a tiny bit there, Sean. And I wanna like I want to throw a question that was thrown at me to you because you can better answer it than I can. Um and we could both take a crack at this, but uh, the question I was asked is: so, if if there's such a you know, in most of the world outside of China, there's a lot demand is half at best right. of what it right. was, right? Air travel demand. Airlines are taking hundreds of aircraft out of their fleets and parking them in the desert. So why 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 should any why should there be a rush to get the Max recertified and put back into service? So that I mean. Well, I mean, I, I would contend that if there's no rush, I mean, we're 19 months in and for the first, you know, for the first, what, 12 of those months, no, 14, 16 of those months that the airplane was needed very badly. We had airlines like yeah. United saying we will take as many of them as Boeing can hand us, you know, can deliver as soon as the airplane's ready to fly again. So I don't think there's a rush. So, so I guess the question is, if you're an airline that has Maxes waiting and Boeing's mm-hmm. got, you know, 470 some of them parked out there that haven't been delivered. And there's another 385 that were grounded when the grounding order came out that were in service. Why would you want them? And I think the answer is simple economics, especially now. Yeah. I mean, if, you know, the airlines around the world now, they're more focused on cost than ever. And they will be for years. And that airplane, for the same reason it was, you know, successful from an order standpoint at the beginning, it offers economics and it offers a, you know, if you're an already a 737 operator, even with the simulator training and the changes that are now in, it offers a commonality. You know, yeah. you know if you're Southwest, you, you same pilots. Uh, you know, more efficient airplane, more capable airplane. So you want to put them in service, even if it's one for one and you're taking a, you know, a, a 800 or a 900 or 700 out of service. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the economics are unmatched and, 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 you know, it, it is kind of an interesting um, place we are, we're in. And I mean, for, for a thousand and one reasons, it's an interesting place in the airline industry right now, but you know, a lot of the uh, lessers are pretty bullish about, uh, new aircraft orders. Uh, they're, they're bullish-ish. Yeah. How is that? They, they make their living being bullish, I think. Well, that's true. But, but you know, an argument has been made um, by a number of the lessors that uh, airlines will start, will retire less fuel-efficient aircraft and order newer, more, more fuel-efficient aircraft because they're so focused on costs right now. And um, 
you know, the, and that's one argument, you know, the operating economics of the 737 MAX are superb uh, for an air body. And the other is that uh, it's a, it's the right size airline aircraft for this time we're in, right? I mean, it's a, it's a good size. It has good range, excellent operating economics. It doesn't, it, it's just a, it's a great, and all the things that made it a great aircraft before the pandemic make it even more so more great aircraft. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I mean, I, I think you're going to get them. You're certainly going to get them at a better price now than you would have then, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and outside of the very top end of the narrow body uh, market where the A321 Neos have done so well. Uh, I don't yeah. think the max 10 is going to touch that, but still, if you're, if you're taking only, you know, 35 or 40% of a market, the narrow body market's a pretty good one to be in to take that number. There's still a lot of airplanes that are going to need to move and Boeing, or, or that are going that are going to move, and I think Boeing is obviously extra motivated to get the airplane, uh, you know, to, to to move the airplanes they have. Another thing that's interesting about this, in in my view, is that you know, one of the questions after the Max accidents and the grounding and before the pandemic was should Boeing shift its uh, new airplane development focus to a, a, a new single aisle? With the mm-hmm. pandemic and all the problems that Boeing's had, I think it's safe to say that we're not going to see anything new out of Boeing for a, a good while. You know, they might launch something maybe mid-decade with an entry into service sometime at the end of the decade or in the early 2030s. Maybe. Maybe. Right. So what that's that's that's, that's an important thing to, to to stop on, right? I mean, you can you can announce a new aircraft, but it's about 10 years well, before right. the, the it's a twinkle in someone's eye before right. it starts. And flying, so the max right? that was clearly suffering uh you know credibility questions and um, you know, questions of how much of a future it had, would Boeing just stop production? Well, now you've got to, you know, you still have two choices. You have the Airbuses and you have the, well, for the most part, you have two choices. You have the Airbus narrow bodies and the Boeing narrow bodies. The only disadvantage now is where neither one was available before because skylines were full and everything was bullish. Well, now if you really want some A320s, you know, Airbus can probably sneak you in sometime in the next few years, right? So that's, right. <laughs> but besides that, I mean, I think, you know, for the for the Max program and its longevity, I mean, the pandemic may end up helping out, helping it out by pushing anything that might replace it way off down the road. What about the C nine one nine? I mean, do you think that's a contender? In China, it is. Yeah, in China, right? That's and a big uh, deal. yeah, that is a big deal, right? It's it's emerging as the largest airline market yeah, in the world, right? Um, and, you, yeah. and so. It's a good place to be if you, if especially if the government can mandate that local carriers purchase well, the aircraft, and they can and they will, and they have, <laughs> they will, yeah. right. and that's, right. but that's you know again that's that's part of their strategy, and I'm I'm not going to sit here and you know knock their strategy as being anything other than, you know, different than what we see here, but it, but it, it's a huge issue for. I mean, it gets back to one of your questions earlier about politics. I mean, I think those politics long term will have much more of an impact on Boeing and Airbus than, you know, any sort of regulatory shenanigans. Well, you know, you're, you're, you're an MRO guy, right? Ma- ma- for those of you who don't know, it's maintenance, repair, and overhaul. I mean, it, it was said that the Sukhoi Superjet, now I saw it at a Paris air show several years ago. I'm sure you did too. It's a good looking aircraft. And, and I remember talking to Interjet's, uh, Interjet CEO several years ago who said, uh, you know, he was very confident this is an excellent aircraft, perfectly suited for Mexico. The problem was that there's, they didn't have the aftermarket sales and support right. and, and maintenance right. support that Airbus Boeing and Embraer have built all around the world. And that's critical for an airline or for an airline to be able to keep an aircraft in reliable service. Now, do you think Comac, the Chinese manufacturer, 
can has learned from Sukhoi's mistakes or can it replicate the sort of aftermarket support that uh, that Boeing and Airbus number air have built do you think or I mean is, is it a political question I mean what my understanding is that they have far more uh, field support people than they need right now far more huh. because they understand okay that the level of confidence has to be instilled in operators on those things that you said. So the aircraft reliability is obviously very important, but the the ability to get what you need when you need it is, you know, arguably more important because if you can keep the airplane flying, if it keeps, you know, air, broken airplanes are no good, but if you can get them back in service, that's okay. We spent, you know, the industry spent years going through that. They weren't always as reliable as they are now, these wonderful yeah. things that, you know, fly us around. So I, I think that they have learned the lesson. I think the reliability issue and the and the the capability issue is going to be more of a question outside of China. But again, it's, it's sort of like the Boeing taking 30% of the single aisle market only. I mean, if you're going to dominate a market, China's a good one to dominate. And I would say Comac is yeah. in a position to, to make some, you know, to make some hay in the next decade or so. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's take this audience question. I and I'm not going to even pretend to answer this because I know what I know about avionics is can be written on the, the fingernail of my pinky. Um, so this audience question says, "I've read that the Airbus A320 Neo cockpit features much more advanced technology than the 737 Max. It's easier for pilots to fly, especially from the third third world. What is your view?" Well, the A320 is is you know 20 years more advanced at least than the 737 full stop. Uh, so, right. is the A320 a more advanced aircraft? Yes. Does that make it a better or safer aircraft? Not necessarily. I think the key right. is that, and this is again one of the biggest lessons learned from this the Max saga, in my view, is the understanding of what of what pilots need to be able to operate the aircraft in all expected and also non-normal environments. The, the problem that we had, the, the, the biggest problem, the, the, the accident sequences, we won't get too, we won't get deep into them, but suffice it to say that the air in both of the accidents, there was nothing fundamentally wrong with the airplane. The airplane was flyable. Now, the yeah. system that was causing the nose down commands that ultimately led, you know, that overwhelmed the pilots was a horrible design. And Boeing didn't think through the ramifications of the system firing when it shouldn't have. It didn't even malfunction. It did what it was designed to do. It just did it at the wrong time because of one faulty sensor. All that horrible right. design by Boeing. But both of the airplanes were still absolutely flyable. The problem was that the pilots didn't know what to do. And, hmm. and so that is the gap that needs to be closed, not just on the max, but you need to make sure you have it closed wherever it exists elsewhere, and you need to keep it closed on future programs. Before, when the FAA certifies an airplane, it looks at what Boeing does, and it looks at the, 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 the entities that it regulates, so the U.S. airlines. So everything is based on the U.S. system, U.S. you know pilot backgrounds, based on our on how we do things here. 
around the world, everybody took what the FAA, many took what the FAA did and said, well, if it's good enough for them, it's good enough for us. What we've learned here is that you can't just take what the FAA says and applies to the U.S. airlines and apply it everywhere around the world because pilot training standards aren't the same, backgrounds aren't the same. You have people, you know, Etihad has a program where you can go from never flying to being qualified on the 787 uh, in 18 months. Not to say it wow. doesn't work, but you have to look. Right. You have to look at what you're expecting out of the pilots, and you have to make sure that the that the uh, you know the, the the logic chain that you've put in place works more than just for the pilots you're regulating. It's something that has changed with this reapproval process. Part of the flight testing and the review of the training has involved pilots from around the world, not just in the U.S. and Canada. First time you have ever seen this from a U.S. certification program, and it huh. won't be the last time. So human factors played far. I mean, that played more of a role than than anyone had anticipated. It's huge, and that's another another huge gap that the FAA is already beginning to close. The FAA has done a good job on the flight standard side, so on the operation side, the piloting yeah. side, where they mm -hmm. really fell down in the human factors. Uh, issue was on the aircraft certification side and it really really showed itself here they're already adding people in their aircraft certification offices they're adding more things that that boeing or other u.s manufacturers are putting out reviewing you know uh, uh system safety analysis to make sure yeah that 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 assumption for a pilot does make sense or no it doesn't or show me more and those kind of things are going to make for better airplanes going forward and they were a huge a, they were a huge issue on the max and boeing made lots of mistakes there's no question about it in the design of the airplane but those mm -hmm. airplanes you know unlike the 737 well uh, uh, there were been the other things in the past where it was the airplane design and hardware that was the issue that was part of the issue here but the biggest issue is is had those pilots had the information that they needed they, they would have been better. And, and it's not, again, this is not a third party pilot or third world pilots versus first world pilots. That right. plane, the, the scenario that led to the accident happened three times. We've documented three times. Two of them were the accident airplane and one was on one of the airplanes that went down on a flight before. And all three times the crews didn't understand what was going on. So that tells you right there that, you know, Boeing didn't get the assumptions right. That's interesting. So, so, well, I mean, this is once again, I mean, it's not, this is not the DC 10, right? I mean, this is a, a flyable air, That's correct. air aircraft that, that doesn't have a major hardware design flaw, but right. Not one that, not one that renders the airplane unflyable. But again, the right. pilots did, they just had no idea. And that's because of decisions Boeing made to keep them out of the loop. I mean, that's a whole other, it's a whole huh. other half an hour of conversation there. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I mean, it's just it's a fascinating thing to think about that sort of the 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 human element of this uh, of how how humans interact with the uh, machine just wasn't considered as fully as it probably should have. Is what they made. Saying, yeah, right? well, they made a lot of assumptions about how pilots would react, and they and they pigeonholed this particular failure as something that pilots had always seen before. Uh, and called a runaway stabilizer, and it the way it manifested itself in reality was not a typical runaway stabilizer. And the and the and the, and the planes were close to the ground, and they had very little time to react. And Boeing assumed they would, do, you know, they would be okay, and they were not. And by the time they figured it out, they did figure out what was happening eventually. But the airplane was lost at that point because of you know, aerodynamics and you know, forces and you know technical things that we won't get into. But yeah. Boeing assumed they would learn, figure it out right away and, and not have to flip through manuals and things. And in no case did that happen.
Yeah. So to the point of, and just sort of the last thing I want to get to, to the point of the it being a flyable aircraft, I mean, American made some, tried to make some news this week by uh, saying, <laughs> saying that the, the airline will return the MAX to service at the end of the year. Um, didn't really make, I mean, to those of us, like for you and me, it didn't make that much news, but, you know, there's obviously like a lot of chatter on Twitter and, and, and what, what was American basically saying? They, they think the air, once the aircraft is recertified by DFA, they'll put it yeah, back in the I sky? Think that's right. I mean, I yeah. think they have, you know, they have a, a pretty good set of uh, 800s out there. They have what? They are uh, 24 maxes in service they had and mm-hmm. a, a bunch more coming down the pike. And I think, I mean, I think they want to fly the airplane because it's more efficient than the ones they have. Um, and, you know, they put it in their schedule. Um that's it. I yeah. mean, it, you know, the, the, with the internet today and the, the ability to look at flight schedules, it's not, nobody's going to sneak the max in, nor do I think the airlines <laughs> think they're going to. I think they're going to communicate to their right. customers, hey, this is a max. And there's going to be, but fundamentally, they, they want the best airplanes they have and they can, they have their choice now because there are so many of them that are, you know, either parked, parked and not flying at all or flying infrequently. So if you got an efficient airplane, you want it in. Well, Sean and I both were uh, worth both worked in PR for a while. We both worked in communications, and I think that is the subject for another half hour. It's just how that gets communicated to passengers, right? I mean, that is a that's I think that that's going to be an interesting story to watch, um, just to see how. I mean, you know, like arguably, passengers now have more on their minds than the max. The, the accidents were more than a year ago. People forget, and to the point of the DC ten, like. People, you know, in the 70s, people said they would never fly it again and it stayed in service till the early 2000s. So, um, uh, like, or later, actually, in various iterations. So uh, maybe it won't be a big communications issue, but but I'm I'm just wa- I'm waiting to see how airlines how they they send that the message to passengers that it's a safe aircraft. I mean, if the pilots are willing to fly it and the flight attendants are willing to staff it. To me, that's the strongest message you can send. And so yeah, they, absolutely. The, Boeing needs to get to there. And if they get to there, then I think the rest of the way will be easier. Well, that, and we'll leave it right there. Sean Broderick, Aviation Week, Senior Air Transport and Safety Editor. Thank you for joining us. And an old pal. Thank you for joining Thanks us today. And I just want to remind everyone that if you have any feedback on this or any other of our live streams and podcasts, you can reach me at mu at skift.com. And uh, thank you for joining us on the Airline Weekly Lounge live. And uh, we will be talking to you again next week. Thank you, Sean.